1: said, I want to
2: win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
3: I think we're all hoping the Monchino experiment is a roaring success. O'Neill qualifies us for the European Championships, then for the next World Cup. By which point, Murph, mm-hmm. Roy Keane's personality has become so warm and cuddly that the only question left is, is Keno too nice To be a number one <laughs> That's the idea scenario But if it goes the other way Yeah If it goes the other way And O'Neill No l- I like the sound of that one now Don't <laughs> yeah, don't ruin it for me now uh, O'Neill loses the goodwill That he has at the moment He may look back At his first weekend As Ireland manager And kick himself mm. For his choice of, of his first public appearance He was at Saturday's press conference It was well built up He was impressive I thought And came across very well but maybe he should have sat alongside John Delaney the previous evening on the Late Late Show because try as he might O'Neill's attempts at humour on Saturday couldn't crack the well-known professional veneer of the Irish press
4: corps I was joking there <laughs>
5: without further ado I will invite some questions along here okay I hope, I hope they're not too difficult no
1: I was joking there. I said to him that uh, the roles that we would have, and uh, he told me that he would reverse those in about 10 minutes. That is not true. I was joking there. The extra teams available now for qualification that he doesn't see a problem whatsoever. (laughs) He did not say that. I was joking there. Someone asked me the other day, why Roy? And I've asked
3: myself that question a number of times. But um, I was joking there. Uh, the See, journalists like to laugh, Murph. Yeah. And I think they will laugh at Martin O'Neill. Without, tough crowd, without being prompted. I just feel there may have been crosswires. Yeah. Comedic wavelengths
4: were, were just not being. Listen, met. you know, it, 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 it's all going to settle down very quickly. Uh, the press corps were probably a little thrown by the fact that they could understand. Every word that he said, uh, maybe maybe that's what maybe that's what had them on edge there. So Ken
3: is spending some time at the new coaching setup today out in Malahide. Ken, how are you?
2: Very good. Alan. how are you?
3: Pretty good. We've been quite impressed with the photographs we've seen. It seems like there's a chemistry between Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill who were together on the training ground today. How did they look to you?
2: Well, they they look great. Martin O'Neill in his trademark uh, black tracksuit. Uh, Roy Keane going for the shorts and boots look. Uh, Puma Kings uh, he, he, when, when we arrived when we were let into the training which is just the very beginning of training because it seems like Martin O'Neill doesn't like journalists watching trading. he's like why are they there I don't want them here so if we do have to be let in for a few uh, minutes make it at the very beginning of the session when really all they're doing is kind of warming up um, so the players were all warming up at one end of the field and then at the other end uh, Roy Keane was sort of walking around with his hands behind his back tapping a football around in a sort of a circle and uh, I guess he was just leaving the players to, to their own devices in the, in the training to begin with. Uh, but then they, they did a bit of a... They came actually right over in front of the journalists to do a bit of the sort of rondo piggy in the middle stuff, you know? Uh, so they're standing right there and came over at one point to hand out some bibs and uh, handed a bib to John O'Shea. He said to him, are you going to join in? And... He was like, "Oh, what me?" Oh, oh. You know, didn't uh, decided. Uh, you know, Bashery refused this, but then um, was trying to find someone else to take the other bib, and uh, nobody seemed to be coming forward. And, and just for a second, the sort of scale started to crease across his face. And I, I thought, "No, I'm reading too much into this." No, and, and then he, he managed to find one. I think John Walters took it off him, and you know, crisis was averted at that point.
3: Oh, and good to see himself and John Walters are getting on. Well, because there have been issues there in the past. Ken is speaking to us in the team hotel. will have him back in studio a little bit later on for second captain's football. But just to mention that we are going to be talking to Colin Begley on today's show. And mm. we're chatting to Colin about Tommy Walsh, who looks like he's returning to Kerry from Australian rules football. But I know Begley was also in the international rules team in 2010, who had a talk given to them by Martin O'Neill. O'Neill is friends with or has a relationship with Anthony Tohill, Yeah, and came in to chat to him. So I'm, we're going to ask Colin. I guess whether or not there was a, whether they got the jokes made by Martin O'Neill and what sort of figure he was.
4: Yeah, um, actually a, a, a very interesting piece written by Joe Brawley in uh, Gaelic Life magazine around the time that O'Neill got the Sunderland job, which uh, gives some indication of how close he remains to the whole Derry Gaelic football scene. Anthony Toll was manager in uh, 2010. Um, apparently Toll was over at an old firm game and yeah. uh, Toll knew Neil Lennon quite well. So they met up after the game and Neil Lennon said, oh, listen, you know, Martin O'Neill would kill me if he heard that uh, that you were over here. O'Neill was still manager of Celtic at the time. Uh, o- O'Neill would kill me if he if he heard that you were over and I didn't bring you up to, to see him, right? Yeah. So Martin O'Neill is in the dressing room or in the in his office having a glass of wine with, with Alex McLeish, then Rangers manager, when uh, Lennon walks in and Toll kind of bashfully walks in behind him. And O'Neill apparently prostrated himself on the ground and started kissing Anthony Tohole's feet uh, so Tohull kind of told him to you know rise up there please and uh, Alex McLeish was looking on rather bemusedly at this this whole scene so apparently they've stayed very close uh, Brawley and uh, Tohole and of course uh, Martin O'Neill and we might touch on it a little later on has quite a Gaelic football pedigree himself
3: yeah, we'll chat a bit about that. Another impressive media performance was given by Joe Schmidt after the Samoa match. It's been talked a bit about, in fact, immediately the the panel were quite struck by how honest he was in his assessment. He was given this easy option of talking about how great Brian O'Driscoll is for his little uh, between the legs flicked pass and a couple of other no-look passes and he said, yeah, that's that's good. That's very good, but Brian also made some mistakes mm. and the team need to, a bit of a kick up the arse here, which wasn't, I don't think, what people were expecting straight away in your first post-match press conference. He'll be interesting to watch for the next couple of years. Yeah, and it least. was
4: kind of, the, the question was kind of lobbed up at him to, for him to say, you know, Brian Driscoll isn't he brilliant? Uh, you know, he's an example to us all. And uh, I think, you know, I think that was, the, the reaction to that then subsequently was, all right, okay, well, that's, that's good. And if Driscoll is in his sights, then you know, no one is safe. Let's
3: stick with Joe Schmidt for now because in studio we've got Trevor Hogan and Jerry Thornley, Irish Times Rugby Correspondent. And on the line, Matt Williams from Sydney. One game gone in the November Internationals, folks. So let's get into some sweeping generalisations based on that one match. Jerry. the first one is still no atmosphere at the Aviva Stadium.
6: Yeah, that'd be a fair point. 20 minutes in, Mexican wave. Very surreal uh, occasion altogether. Didn't help that the match was insufferably boring, particularly in the first half. 16 scrums, including resets. All of them, I went back over the video and they all took a minute. Anytime there was a reset, that was another minute of the match gone, another minute of our lives gone that we were never going to get back again. And uh, the crowd just just were turned off completely. It was probably as well that it finished in a high rather than it started in a high and finished like that. So yeah. at least they were sent away with some good memories from the game. But yeah, it would be different. It would be different for the Australia match, I'm sure. But you're right, it was an appalling match
3: But I do before. remember being at the South Africa game, was that last year? And it was... It didn't sell very well. I think the IRFU afterwards admitted that they had got their pricing policy wrong mm-hmm. and rejigged it for the Six Which Nations. wasn't a
6: problem this time. It was a good crowd there.
3: Yeah, it was a good crowd. just it, it isn't necessarily happening. But you think it's too early to judge those things. Yes. It should be better against Australia and certainly against New Zealand. Big time.
6: Proper real match in Australia. Great brand of rugby. Samoa were surprisingly poor. Um were rusty. Took them a while to get going. The scrums. Steve Walsh was in a very pedantic mood. Those scrums took forever. You know, there's an element of the occasion is made by the sporting event it's, itself as well and I just think it'll be a lot, lot better for this weekend yeah
5: I, it probably doesn't help to have the stadium announcers banging out these cringy tunes oh, to right. try and yeah. instigate yeah. a bit of crack going you know especially they don't need to start playing Fields of Roy. you know if, if we're going to sing it like the Irish culture we'll, we'll just get stuck in If if you know we're not great generally to be honest but it makes it worse if you're trying to force it. If we're yes. told to do something, yes. we then yeah. will yeah. compulsory it. Yeah. It's, the other it's way. just not going to work. All right,
3: Shane Horgan made a point on Saturday. Matt Williams, I'll bring you in on this one. He said that with a coach as proven as Joe Schmidt is and as respected around the rugby world, the pressure now lies with the players. They've got no excuses. There's not even a doubt that this guy is a successful, brilliant coach. So now it's, it's basically up to them. Would you go along with that?
1: um not totally no um I, I have massive respect for joe i think he's fabulous in what he's done and i think he's the right man for the job but uh it's a different animal what he's what he's doing i did a piece in the irish times there last week just saying the same thing you, you, you know joe's had his whole background and is a teacher and He's gone through education, been with, with teams for long periods of time, and it's the exact opposite at national level. You have them for very brief windows, and he's, it's even harder now where he's starting 10, um, isn't released, uh, except for the IRB windows, because he's playing over in France and Johnny Sexton. So I, I wouldn't agree with that completely. The pressure is always on the coach. There There is no doubt about this but pressure on the coach, but... Uh, I believe, where islands come. It's a, bit, it's a bit like you're talking about the stadium. You had the best stadium in the world. The best atmosphere in the world was Lansdowne Road. And that's why it's so hard at the stadium. You had a great team in, in uh, the, the uh, Golden Generation, and the team's just not as good. Now, there was a lot of things happening last year's Six Nations, which were beyond Declan Kidney's control. The injuries in that last game and the things that went wrong, no coach is responsible for that. And in the same breath, no coach misses a tackle and no coach misses a kick at goal. The players have to take responsibility for their actions. It's always been the case within teams. But I think publicly in Ireland, it's been out of kilter. And I think to say now, uh, you know, as much as Shag, Horgan is one of my great mates and guy I hugely respect, to say that this is just the players now is equally out of kilter. It's still the team. It's going to take this team time to to grow, it's going to take Joe time to grow into the position but it's also about getting the best 15 players out in the field and playing together uh, You know, was it Joe's fault the team didn't defend well last week I don't think so, I, I think the boys have got to take some responsibility for that yet, I think the pressure comes back on, on Lee's kiss a bit more because he's been the defensive coach for a long time and again a guy I have huge respect for but ultimately that defensive system still isn't working and if they don't have it working, next week against Australia could be trouble. Let me tell you, if they don't have it working the week after, it's going to be
3: 50 points had. Trevor? And everyone is responsible for that. Your point on who, who is responsible under this, reign?
5: Yeah, I think everyone's fairly unanimous on the the, the qualities of Joe as a coach. But, uh, you know, um, I do see there will be player individual responsibility coming into it as well. But just on Matt's point there about the defence... Um, it, some of the errors were very uncharacteristic, you know, and from people that we wouldn't usually associate with making making errors like that. And you'd maybe possibly throw into mix a possible reason for that is because, you know, and I might touch on what Matt, Matt's talking about the, the, the difficulties at national level. You're trying to coordinate four different provinces or maybe even more different uh, defensive structures. And we all know that Leinster brought in a different, different system, which is going to be. Ba- basically very different again to the Ireland one so the errors we saw were there was there was players basically looking at looking at coming up hard like mm-hmm. we had Brian O'Driscoll coming up hard we had also Paddy, Paddy Jackson. Jackson came up yeah. and, and bid in they're, they're probably def- um, they're the system of coming defending from the outside in uh, whereas Ireland is probably going back to that that's the system of inside out and it's a light, slightly bit different now I'm I'm only speculating because mm. those errors can they can be very easily fixed but because and there was other issues with lack of communication and, and certain players coming in when they should have been pushed out players sitting on their heels they are small little things that maybe it's just about getting everyone on the same level and that is something that would, it comes down to responsibility you're probably looking at.
6: It would be at, astonishing if Brian O'Driscoll made the same mistakes two weeks ago. <sighs> it's never happened. It never yeah. will happen. But the Paddy Jackson one was extraordinary because if you think back to a week before and the Wallabies try against England, it was almost in the identical position in the pitch where Chris Ashton did the exact same thing. Yeah. And if you give Israel out that outside channel, you're, you're dead. Term. Because
5: if if we, if we do that, like G- Genia or Falau, they they look to kind of crab across the field mm-hmm. and they look to pull someone out of the line. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper's if we, a genius yeah, yeah, too. And if you do that without everyone else outside, you jamming in yeah. and pushing in, then there's going to be holes. And, and Does this tie possibly in, no harm though that there yeah. were mistakes like that. Yeah. I think
6: you know, possibly no yeah. harm. It might actually be a good thing that there were mistakes. Three glaring misreads in defence that Les Kiss and Joe Schmidt can work on it makes it less likely it's going to happen this weekend There's a
3: tie into the bigger question though that Matt touched on that we just don't have as good a team as we had it's certainly an unproven yep. team at international level and what Joe Schmidt is trying to do in defence and and also in attack we know he's ambitious and we know what he has done with Leinster but given the uh, the time frame you have to work with international players which has been talked about a lot and actually the quality of those players at the moment compared to maybe five or six years ago might he have to rein things in himself
6: might the coach might need to change his philosophy at some point I'm not too sure about that I, I accept Matt's point totally that if you think back to say the 2007 World Cup Ron O'Gara Paul O'Connell Brian O'Driscoll David Wallace like we're talking the greatest generation of rugby players that's ever come out of this country I would say all age between twenty five and thirty, all with fifty odd caps to their belt, and just imploded at that World Cup. There's no way that um, at face value this team is as talented. And there's no doubt that Paul O'Connell is now thirty four, Brian Driscoll's now thirty four, you know, and a lot of the golden generation have since passed on to retirement. And it's it's comparatively unproven and a new group are coming through. There there is undoubted world class, I think, in Johnny Sexton, Sean O'Brien, I think you have to say they are world class players. But ultimately, Ireland are never going to outmuscle England or France mm. or even any of the Southern Hemisphere teams. They've got to outthink them. They've got to outsmart them. And I would have, I would have thought that Joe Schmidt is absolutely the best coach qualified for Ireland to have a hope of doing that.
3: What do you think, Trevor? Do you, th- do you disagree also with my assertion that maybe and it's way too early to tell, but that it's harder to do what Schmidt did at Leinster with an international team. And the coach might actually have to learn as he goes along as an international coach too.
5: Yeah, I, I, I take Jerry's point, but I suppose if you look at it individually, and you say you, say, you mention players like you say the likes of who we lost, you say Jerry Flannery, you say mm-hmm. Davy David mm-hmm. Wallace, but then in those areas you'd say we've got Rory Best, we've got Sean Cronin, and, and, and you've got Sean O'Brien, Peter O'Mahony, um, Chris Henry. Those players, for me, are, are you know, you're not going to have a David Wallace, but they're still in of that category. And in the second row are still quite strong. Maybe the one area, possibly, it would be centre, where you don't have that
6: quality coming through behind. The second row, I would argue, Trevor as well. Um,
5: yeah, I suppose, but you've still got O'Connell is not going to be as uh, uh, much of an a, a athlete around the field as he was. He still has that presence for me. But yeah, uh, the second row and centre, maybe we don't have the depth that we we did have in that that era. But for me, there's still huge quality throughout the side and I wouldn't start thinking that, you know, or the generation is, is gone now. any. Sure, any yeah. News. Matt,
3: your point, I guess, is that even though he's had massive success at provincial level, he's an unproven international coach at the moment, Joe Schmidt. So we still have to... The jury is still going to be out on him.
1: Yeah, mate. Well, you know, if I, if I can just give you one name, Robbie Doones. You know, Robbie Doones won... Uh, Game after competition after competition with the Canterbury Crusaders. Um, there was huge pressure in New Zealand to put him in as the New Zealand national coach after the 2007 World Cup when were, New Zealand were defeated by uh, France in Cardiff. And I think Robbie was a sensational coach. And his players let him down. I, I have no doubt that, that the Australian players let Robbie Deans down. Uh, did Robbie Deans make some mistakes? Of course. But that doesn't make Robbie doings a bad coach. Uh, I, I think I think it's all we're, we're trying to make something of this quite complex a bit simple because the other part when when you take the step up to international uh, coaching, especially with a country like Ireland and to a lesser degree Australia, um, you know if, if the, the opposition is so much stronger than you uh, numerically they should be better than you. Whereas when you sometimes, you know, Leinster were one of the great teams of Europe. Now you step up into that next level, you're playing New Zealand, like oh, I've never beaten New Zealand. You're playing, you're playing France, the statistics, the uh, stats are quite low, the stats are quite low. So it's, you're not apples and apples. It's, it's a completely different uh, world you go into. How quickly did and, that come apparent
3: to you, Matt, when you went to coach Scotland? Did it immediately, were you prepared for the different challenges faced by an international coach?
1: Uh, I, I probably was because i had done some work with international teams before. But even then, uh, and again, my my each situation is different. I went to Scotland knowing that I had a very poor player group uh, at that at that particular junction, and I I went there very much with my eyes open, knowing that this was going to be a very tough gig. But in my in my career, I wanted the opportunity and the personal experience to have coached at international level. I would have loved to have coached Ireland, but I was told that wasn't going to happen in the foreseeable future. And then I had, a, I had a decision to make, do I stay at Leinster or do I take this opportunity? I actually spoke to John Conley who said that he was offered the Irish job many years ago and he regretted not taking it. You never know when you're going to get offered it again. So I took it. And 2020 hindsight, I'd do it again. Not, not because it was an exceptionally difficult uh, coaching gig, but the personal life experiences that I got out of it. That are not for anyone else's business, just my business, were, were wonderful and I, I enjoyed it. I would have loved to have coached Ireland, but that, you know, you can't always get what you want. But it was a step from Leinster, where we had a young team that was dominant, that was coming through, moving forward in, in our competition, which was then was the Magnus League or the Celtic League, as it was, and, and the Heineken Cup, to then start, step up into the Six Nations. And the first game in the Six Nations was against England in 2004. It was their first game after winning the World Cup you're really going to struggle to win that game. So you've got a whole lot of different parameters that go into it. You know, Joe against New Zealand, should he win that game? You know, he's going to have to beat history. And beat it. Can Ireland win it? Of course, like I always say Ireland can win it. But it's not apples and apples. If Leinster went up against Claremont, still a great side, would Joe win it? Yeah, we'd expect him to have a really even or better than even chance to winning it. It's just a, it's a different league, a different competition, completely different parameters.
3: Are expectations level, levels too high, though, Jerry? Do we actually have a chance of beating New Zealand? Sh- no. Should we no, see? Sh- no. Should, should never
6: we, ever ever expect Ireland to beat New Zealand. Should we again. see
3: the tour as the series as a failure then if we don't beat Australia? No,
6: not at all. Absolutely not. So we can lose to two of those games. and it's not them important. Does it really matter? It will be a footnote in history. Come the next Six Nations, come Six Nations next season again, and particularly come the World Cup. How Ireland did against Australia? I would say that the Australian game probably defines the month in the sense that if Ireland win, it's a good month. If Ireland lose, it's not such a good month. Because realistically, Samoa is very winnable and the All Blacks game is very losable. I've long since given up hoping for an Ireland win against the All Blacks because I've learned from history. The last time I was in New Zealand, Ireland just lost sixty 0 As an Irish person, you just wanted to cower out of the place. Yeah, but we were
3: close in the test before that. We have
6: gotten close. Yeah, which is a remarkable achievement. Really remarkable. But I don't know how many All Blacks games I've encountered now. Not only is there... Kind of a, a mental block about being them. Not only are they generally just superior from one to fifteen, but they are so acutely conscious themselves of never having lost to Ireland that they it actually, actually acts as a powerful motivation for them. That they just don't want to suffer the ignominy of losing to Ireland on their watch, yeah. and that footnote they want that place in history themselves. We'll talk more about New Zealand
3: next week, Trevor. But do we have to, as Irish rugby supporters, recalibrate our thinking and our expectations? Because on the face of it, you would think losing two matches in a November series would seem like a failure. We're, so we're, And essentially that all hinges on the game against Australia. Do we need to actually think a little bit differently this early on in the new reign?
5: Uh, maybe, but I think if, if we were looking to see this as a as an improvement, then I think we'll be looking, not necessarily as Gerry's saying, in the result against Australia, but we need to just, if we can tighten up on those areas that we were... Uncharacteristically poor at in 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 the Samoa game. Then we can start seeing. We'll start seeing the progress because if we if we don't kick away loose possession and we get our exit strategies out of the twenty two right, we won't be giving Australia the possession Samoa had. So that means we will have, we we'll, Ireland will have the opportunity to show what we we, ha- we can do, and that will be in the sec- like we did in the second half. So. You know, we'll start seeing progress there. I would, I would. So you'd be
3: reasonably happy with a uh, good performance. You're not even looking at necessarily winning the game.
5: Well, I think we we can definitely win. Australia are vulnerable. Like you see, you see the start Italy had against them, they, they were up ten nil, but they allowed they allowed Australia in through simple areas like Targan, Genia, and 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 Cooper, and especially not kicking to Falao. So if we if we can tighten up on those areas, you know, and they were the areas that let us down at the weekend, we have a great chance of winning. But you know, it will, it's the, it's the old cliche, it will come from, from the performance first, you know, and that will that will be the, the marker of of what we can take from, from this series.
3: It's a new Australia. Jerry. is it an improved Australia, do you think?
6: Oh, definitely. In the last four matches, they've turned a corner. Um, when Ewan McKenzie came in after Robbie Deans, I was over there and Australian rugby was at a low ebb and he, he suffered at first, for sure. But they're playing against the All Blacks and South Africa and the Lions the three best sides in the world in that order and then they gradually evolved and you always knew Cooper was going to come back in he's teacher's pet he's McKenzie's go-to boy on the pitch McKenzie believes in in Cooper in the way he's so unpredictable because he wants to keep the opposition guessing and he doesn't mind if it keeps his own teammates guessing that's the way he wants to go and you might if you're going to play Cooper, you got to might as well play that brand of rugby that Queens and Reds played. I mean that Queens and Reds performance against the Lions was extraordinary. I've never they were always French like from vintage French the way they just went at the Lions. And there's an element of what the Wallabies are trying to do now. I think they've scored 18 tries in the last four games, and Cooper's been creator in chief last start, I think They created three of them. Um, they've made more flout going to fullback than on the way, and he's more involved. They're missing a lot of players, and yet they become quite a potent force again. So they're porous but they are more potent what about that Matt
1: uh, I you know I think jury's pretty very very close to being a hundred percent accurate on that um, they're an interesting group there Australian's there's, there's much more of an internal dynamic going on there than perhaps the uh, uh, the media certainly the Irish media give it credit for uh, that was a very divided group and that's one thing I think Robbie did poorly uh, you know he he, he there, were, there were the you know I, I can't use the term Necessarily here, but we call them fig jammers. You know that it's an acronym for meaning. she's, I'm good. Just ask me. And you had Quade Cooper was at the centre of it with Curtly Beal, and and then you had James O'Connor, and the three of them are unbelievably talented young boys, and they got away with blue murder. They were going out. They were disrespectful to the jersey. And and they got away with it. And and Stephen Moore wrote a, uh, did a great interview where he regretted, said he regretted as a senior player not grabbing him by the scruff of the neck and dragging him back in. And he felt he let Robbie Deans down by not doing that. And I thought that tells you a lot about the character of Stephen Moore and he, he's playing some exceptional rugby. But those three guys, when they were removed from the Wallaby group, they had to be something done. And I, I've been very critical of Quake Cooper. I've got to give him credit. He's, he's matured. He's turned around the way he's speaking with the media, the way he's conducting himself, and the way he played against New Zealand. I didn't believe he had the character to stand up against New Zealand and play a game of, of authority and manage the game in the way that he did over there in the third test. And I give him lots of credit because it's not an easy thing to do. It's an exceptionally hard thing to do, and he's, he's moved on. And I think that, that sort of says something about what Ewan's done with that team. Uh, he's a great guy, very, very quiet, spokenly man. You, you know, you, 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 Bob Dwyer tells a story that he's a grumpy bloke because they won the Blueslow Cup once they're flying back from Queensland and they had four X beer in it, and mm-hmm. everyone else was celebrating and you and took a drink out of the Blueslow Cup and said, "I hate four X." You know, he's, he's just you can't find a happy bone in his body because he's just always striving for excellence. And well, the way he's turned the in, internal politics of that team round, he deserves a lot of credit for. They're not there yet. They're not yet there yet. But they are certainly a significantly uh, more unified group than uh, they
3: were in June. Sexton was talking today or yesterday with the quotes in the papers today saying that uh, very complimentary of Quake Cooper as you'd expect before a game. But he did make the small point that we've dealt with them well before. So will that be in the uh, Irish viewpoint that actually they can handle a player like Quake Cooper?
5: definitely and i think once you it's actually very helpful to be able to specifically identify two or three key players and it really gives a focus to players going into a match to be able to talk up well i'm going to i'm i've got cooper around the rook you know i'm I, or i've got gennie around the rook and i've got cooper out wide and and I'm, you know you're just you just builds a set of focus and a clarity and, and a even special, when you have no idea what that player is going to do well you do in fairness you have a fairly good idea of what Gennie and Cooper are, are, are going to look to do you know so you can as long as you're aware that it gives you a real focus and I suppose the thing the real danger man though for me is Falou, and it's, it's, you might know what he's going to do but it's still very hard to stop it it's very hard to tackle him and stop his offload uh you know no matter what no matter what way you approach him so for me he's the real danger man but we can cut that down by not kicking as as loosely as 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 possible to him you know um for me genia and cooper are are you know they're obviously top class world class players but as long as the irish defensive line is aware of what what they what they're looking looking at then it just gives it a massive, a massive focus. I mean, you know, the template is there. What we did to, to get it in the World Cup. So, for, you know, for me, it's actually like Sexton is saying. There, it's going to. We've done it before. We know what we're looking at, and it's 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 not something that we should be too you know worried about. Sexton's presumably going to come back in, Jerry. On top
3: of what other changes do you think?
6: Keane Healy, Paul O'Connell, Sean O'Brien. I'd imagine that'd be the four changes. Sounds, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know that they're real stellar names. they'd improve any team pretty much I mean they're all of them outstanding players. Their first-choice lines of their own choice. They're they're like going to make a serious difference. That's almost one-third of your team.
5: The big one for me there is Healy. And I know everyone's talking about Jack, and Jack was brilliant mm. this weekend, but Healy, it, the, you know, Mike Ross said yesterday he was trying to talk up the, the Australian scrum. The Australian scrum is still all over the place. It's so inconsistent. They get maybe one or two decent hits, but they are wide open, and, and, and Healy was was going, you know, I was so looking forward for him playing the Lions. And the Lions, if keen Healy was playing, the Lions would have had it wrapped up after two series, after two tests yeah. and now he has the chance and he's going to be he's going to be gunning for, for Ben and Alexander and Shawnee made a him.
6: huge change when he came on as yeah. well last week he's just a world class ball carrier he's a force of nature on the pitch and also Joe's handled this very well in giving Sexton a weekend off down in yeah. Kerry be refreshed recharged physically, mentally and then the three boys should all benefit from having a little bit of an outing last weekend I think he's managed this quite well and expect to pick Irish performance and I'd agree with you about Gennie and Cooper like it's it, their strength is their weakness. They so, yeah. are so dependent on Gennie and Cooper that that's yeah. what the opposition focus on. That's what Ireland did in Eden, in Eden Park in the World Cup. And it's also what England did a couple of weeks ago. They just crowded Genya.
3: All right, last word to Matt Williams in Sydney. Matt, it looks like a pretty strong Irish team out or as close to our full team as we can get. How do you think it's going to go?
1: I think there's a couple of aspects that the boys are right. What, the, what those halves will do is play what Australia do better than most in the world. They play game-line rugby. They run and attack the line flat. Uh, if you can think back to that first try against England, that's, that's what they do. Ganya runs around that corner, looks for a runner. And if the defensive line doesn't come up on them, then he'll cut you. Eventually, he'll cut you apart. And that's what we're talking about, those areas. If someone comes in or someone goes out, unless you go straight, they'll take you apart. But the one thing that no-one's mentioning there, what happened in, in uh, New Zealand was it rained. If it rains in Dublin, Ireland are in this game. If it's a dry day, Australia will play, will, will play very, very well, and Ireland will be hard-pressed to hold them. But there's a strong chance in November <laughs> in Dublin it's going to rain. Because, look, there's just... I'm not joking. have said this before. Jerry knows he's had long talks. These are still the kids from the drought generation. They grew up with 10 years without rain, and Australia finds playing rugby in the rain very, very difficult, and Ireland don't. That's their element. Yes, it rains. It will be all oh, in That's pretty me.
3: grim, though, Matt. We're back to nineteen ninety-five. Irish players waking no, up in the morning, hoping it's no, out No, no, no. I don't. mean that at
1: all. I'm not. I'm not being. I'm not being. Um, uh, I'm not being derogatory to the Irish players. I'm. I'm saying that Australian. This the, the generation of Australian players coming through now, find the tactical change that is required. Uh, with the weather very very hard mm. uh, but I do believe that this Australian side the way they're playing at the moment are a little bit not much a little bit better than the Irish side but but I don't believe there's going to be a walloping or anything like that and if Ireland won I wouldn't be at all surprised but I think if it rains Ireland will win
3: okay Matt Williams we we'll leave it there Jerry Thornley and Trevor Hogan great stuff thanks me Thank Thank nice. thanks I I don't know where I I understand the point that Matt is making and I think Jerry agrees with him that it's not so much that Irish Rugby players need the
4: rain. Mm. It's just Australian, just Australian players players, yeah. don't
3: like players. It, it's just a little bit too similar to those old five and six nations. I know you love um, anecdotal... 9-6 against Scotland,
4: 1993. That's what we're talking about here, is it? That's a, that kind of thing.
3: reminds me of a story, Murph. I know yeah. you love stories that centre around the great Kerry teams of the 70s and 80s. Oh, there, have, there haven't been enough of those put into the no. public domain, I think. One of them, It's a the great
4: untold story of Irish sport, really, isn't it? Jack
3: O'Shea. It? I can't remember who used to room with him, but whoever it was told the story about Jack O'Shea that they were playing an All-Ireland final. Jack O'Shea gets up on the morning of the final, opens the curtains. Really sunny day, really nice, and Jack O'Shea turns around and says, Brilliant. Dry ball. This is what Kerry football is on. to the ground. You can see where this is going, if the next All-Ireland final. Lashing rain when he opens. Turns around, brilliant stuff. They won't like the rain. Kerry football's all about digging here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it's did, all about. Did that actually happen? I don't know. But well, it's a Kerry yeah. football story.
4: It's a Kerry football story, so you can, you can take them at their word. We've on. been
3: talking about media performances for quite yep. a lot of this show. Murph. here's another interesting
4: interview that was given this week,
3: yesterday indeed, by Lance Armstrong. You would have heard this. I'm okay, sure. yeah, yeah. We're going to just play a couple of clips. Uh, this is to the news hour program on BBC's World Sur- Service. The very start of the interview, he was asked, "Would he cooperate with the UCI with a commission into the past misdemeanors of himself and the other cyclists?" Listen to how quickly the self justification kicks in.
7: I'm keen to do whatever I can do to help close a chapter and help the sport move forward. Certainly, I, I would speak with 100 percent transparency and honesty. All that I would say is that we had a very consistent pattern of behavior for 20 years in cycling, very consistent. And yet the punishments and the toll that's taken on some has not been consistent. You've had some people with a total free pass, and you've had some people with a death penalty for consistent behavior. And so all, I'm, all that I would hope for is that People are treated consistently and fairly. If everybody gets the death penalty, then I'll take the death penalty. If everybody gets a free pass, well, I'll, I'm happy to take
4: a free pass. He's talking a lot about the death penalty there, very yeah. serious stuff. Yeah, I know. He's, he's he's from Texas. He should probably watch himself, you know. <laughs> I mean, you, be careful what you wish for there, uh, Lance, me the the, old man.
3: The level playing field line that he trots out is, you hear it a lot in... Sport in these particular stories when you, when it deals with doping and sport. I'm not sure if how level the playing field was. I don't think too many of even Lance Armstrong's teammates, let alone the lower cyclists on the professional ladder, were you know involved in phone calls with the UCI president, Hein Verbruggen, and then getting off. The phone, that was just Hein <laughs> as my pal, Hein. Yeah, it's level no playing
4: deal. field. No, I'm, I don't think anyone's buying that. Let's hear Lance's
3: idea on how cycling can become more ethical. But
7: I don't know. I, I think there's almost Uh, I mean, look, I'm going to play golf right now, right? Just try to follow me here. I mean, I think cycling could use with a a dose of self-policing and gentlemanly behavior, and there's an unspoken code that you just play by the rules, and I I think that would help a lot in cycling, where guys are just like, no, we're going to be gentlemen about this, and, yeah, there may be things out there, but, you know, we're going to toe the line on a level playing field.
3: If he's consistent, besides his consistency in two Mm. points Amy, if the level playing field... And also, he loves and held unspoken code, does Lance yeah.
4: Armstrong. Yeah. Lance Armstrong calls for the end to all drugs tests, is basically what I'm hearing there. Um, yeah. Isn't there? Isn't that kind of a thing, though, already in most sports, that you're not supposed to cheat? <laughs> I mean, I do There it's, should it's be not, an
3: unspoken code in cycling that you don't take performance, Lance, yeah, drugs.
4: I think that code kind of already exists, really, lads. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, golf isn't the only uh, sport where... He loves a round of golf as well. Well... I mean, there's not a whole lot else he can do at the moment, really, is there? I mean, that's kind of what he's got.
3: Coming up in second captain's football. That's... Yeah.
1: <laughs> they have asked for that, really.
2: Oh, you can laugh. I'm, to walk up.
1: I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me.
5: You don't
7: know what you're talking about. What have you done? I need to stay alive.
5: I'd, like to stay life. Life. Oh, okay. I'd say it to you,
7: I'll say it to, you, say it to oh. now. I'm down Swankfield, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you
2: shorny man?
3: You'll be bringing back some more observations from the training session today, Ken. What else is going on in second-class football?
2: Yes. Uh, which Irish player referred to Roy Keane as a big part of the country in this part of the world? Uh That another. Questions answered in the second cap of this football coming up a little bit later this evening. We're going to talk a bit about, about also the um, the uh, BT deal to to show the Champions League. This is a deal which is very interesting because it's not. it seems to be about football, but it's actually about BT trying to take over the internet using football. Um, so we'll have a little bit of a piece on that too. But mainly it's got to be Roy Keane, Martin O'Neill and... Uh, the Irish New Dawn
3: Sounds good. We'll let you get back to it there. We are now joined to talk a bit about the possible return of Tommy Walsh to a Kerry set up by Colin Begley. Tommy's obviously been over applying straight and Aussie rules for the last few years. It seems as though he's going to come back. Colin Cooper's been talking about this I quoted quote today as saying it's obviously a very, very good thing for He'd Kerry. He'd fly to Australia himself, to, himself him to bring Tommy Walsh back. Would be a huge addition to the Kerry squad, but I'm quite interested given Cullum's experiences himself over in Australia of his thoughts on this. You did spend a number of seasons playing in, in Brisbane and also at St Kilda, Cullum. Ideally, just on Tommy Walsh, first of all, would you like to see him stay over there and try to get a new contract?
8: For, for Kerry, if he came back for Kerry, would be a massive, massive bonus for them. A fantastic player and I, I'd love to see him I know how important it was to him to to make it over in Australia, and, and personally, I think he could easily have made it. I think um, injuries and probably the wrong selection at club has we really, um, put a, a setback on his, on his career. But I think he could get, find another club if he wanted to. It. But it's very tough on a guy who's say been over for numerous years has found it very hard to break into a certain team because there's numerous players, good players already there, um, and it's hard to get into. He's looking for a key forward role. I think he's definitely a key forward If to put my else really.
3: Yeah, that, That's the thing. Most of the Irish guys who went over before him, and of course you've been over there, whether they were forwards or not in Gaelic football, they were, it was easier to make them into defenders.
8: Yeah, well, it's, this is the thing, actually. I, I disagree with him somewhere, too. Um, it's been happening for a while, and I actually spoke to Titan about what, when they are scouting. They bring players over and they put them into the half-back flank, which is a, a natural naturally for us. We like to give the ball and comfort again. It's a give-and-go, um, the support one. Players naturally do that in GAA football. Um, because there's no mark and it's continuous play. That's fine to bring a lad over and put him half back flank, let him base his playoffs, and our player, say an experienced player, get the idea of where we're going to move. And, but after a while, like you have to be realistic about where certain lads play. Like Martin Clark there, we went over as well, um, half back flank first into the bit of midfield, and then was tagging as well. His skills with the ball, like whether it be round or oval, he can snap shot from left to right. Like He has this amazing talent to see things too. I would love to see him play as a small forward or a, or a second small forward. You know, getting amongst it or a winger, mm. where he could get on a bit of ball and give these delivery passes. And they need to start looking at that. I think, and like when they're bringing players over, by all means, make it easy for them, put them into a halfback spot, flank spot, along there, get them develop their game. But after that, start looking to where you would play him properly. And you know, Kieran Burns going over there now as well at the moment. Like he's a forward. They'll they'll play him a halfback flank to start off. But he's a forward naturally. He would like to score and. and that would be a position so, so it's just
3: one of those idea, ideas that are in the heads of the Australians that okay these Irish guys are coming over they're 19 they're not used to this game the easy thing to do is to put them in as nearly, a
4: halfback yeah they're nearly suggesting that kind of all of the Gaelic footballers have the same skill set well
8: yeah a lot a lot of them brought over are quite similar and like in like the athletic ability they have probably be you know tall enough athletic enough um, you know high height size but. And their basis is, right, put them in there at half back, you can kind of gauge your game off it. Like a lot of half forwards or wingers will be the movement will be quite, you know, similar. So they to find out where they're kinda of leading, where they're going. So they can learn how to be a back and learn how to be a forward by watching what their players are doing. But after a while I just think they need to start saying, Well, well this player's important now, where we can put him? He's a he's a forward. Like Tommy Walsh to play him full back and centre back. He can play full back and centre back. He can do that. But he's a scoring forward. That year in two thousand and um,
4: 2009 with Did Kerry? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I believe it, even with
8: the international rules. I think it was a year after um, where we, we were over in Australia. Sorry, yeah, yeah, He was marking Joel Pathfil. Joel Pathfil is one of the better defenders in the AFL. He got the best in Ferris in Brisbane. And he roasted Joel Pathfil in that game. He could kick a ball to him, he would have caught it no matter what. Like, he's a scoring forward, he's a presence, he's athletic for a big lad too. So, like, obviously, injuries hampered him now. I would love to see him try and get in our club, because I think clubs are clever enough to see that this man has ability. How
3: does he do that? What's the process there? Does well, he just put his name out there?
8: Yeah, well, he'll
3: have a manager or an agent, I
8: suppose, as you call it in America, but he'll have a manager who'll probably look to talk to a few clubs about him. If he goes, if he's delisted by Sydney and he's near a year, he can put himself into the draft. The draft means that any team can pick him that way. But obviously the interested club will come towards him and say, listen, we want to, we want to pick you in the draft we have whatever pick we have and my might choose there and the two or three clubs can go in there and it's basically whoever's the first pick that wants to pick him can get him. But um, like I think the assets he has and the skills he has, he, could, he genuinely could really make it near Why do
3: you feel that he made a wrong club choice?
8: Just well, I don't Even at the time, it's hard for a player to make, like even when I went to St Kilda as well, I went to St Kilda and I thought it was the right club choice for me. There was Collingwood, I was training with Collingwood for two weeks before I went over and St Kilda had a, a sooner choice and they picked me and I was delighted because they were a good team up and coming and didn't make the first game the, the, the round one and he said you're, you're close you're close keep pushing 20 games in a row they're from 20 games in a row later on you st- still haven't got a game like so it's tough in that way and you just can't tell but I just think with Sydney they probably have Adam Goods, and they have, um, now they have Buddy Franklin and, Kurt, and to tip it. and they're three top top forwards you know key forwards who would make any team um, so where do, you, where do you go there you, know, you don't really yeah. have a four tall
4: yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting the trajectory of so many players when they go over to Australia that so often we see Irish guys go over and in the first year they make a huge splash or they have a breakout year maybe in the second year. But then after that, it's only ever really Thigh that's managed to continue that. Why do you think it is that after maybe, maybe it's only one year, but certainly two years, that... It seems that Irish players can't push on and continue to, to keep the upward curve.
8: There's probably a few factors. Like um, You look at, I suppose, the player himself. and Ty- Tyke, obviously a fantastic player, very athletic. And he found uh, a niche, I suppose, in Sydney. Sydney were looking for, at the time, were looking for a player to take the ball out of the fence in, in a, a fashionable of speed. Like, and and he was that. He was a very good rebound 50 player. Like he just, I remember brothers watched the game before and they said to me, T- Tyke, like he's a class player, but he just doesn't mark. You know, And he, didn't ha- he actually didn't have to mark because he done so well in a few games where he's marking and, and bursting out that what happens is the other teams go he's a very, very important player to them. He's a he takes the ball out of defense. They didn't actually put forwards on to mark him nearly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he just stands at the back of, of stoppages and stuff and takes the ball out and delivers it at speed and, and was very, very good at that. Fantastic guy and and good vision and and his burst was fantastic and now Pierce Hanley is doing the same as well. Pierce Hanley will be a superstar in the yeah. Without, without doubt. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot
4: of Irish players were really, or a lot of Irish people were really surprised at how good he was in 2011 uh, oh, in yeah. the international rules. People yeah. were blown away by how how good he was. But he, just that
3: point on, uh, on the Kieran makes about how it some, sometimes seems to tail away for players. Yeah. I, well, other well than
8: what happens is I think um, <clears throat> a few different factors can take the, the actual team itself you're involved in, like you know. It could be, somebody to say if you're a half-back flank, it could be five or six or halfback half-back flanks at a time with more experience or whatever. You, couldn't, you just can't. You're improving for so long and you reach the level where how am I going to be better than this guy beside me? You know what I mean? Mm. And maybe you can't be. Maybe you're not, not there yet. Maybe they've had a few, actually a few years of experience. Mm. Or,
4: and Is it an element of you're a project for the first year and there's a massive amount of resources put into you and, you know, you you feel that for better or worse, the club are committed to you because, you know, you're the new Irish kid. And then in, maybe in the second year or in the third year, certainly, they kind of say, right, well, he's reached a certain level now. And there's maybe there's another kid that they're going to go up and develop and you're kind of very, you're left on your own. The support structure that you had for the first year or the first 18 months isn't there anymore. Well,
8: it's probably like this, they're being realistic that, OK, we've we've helped you along now and now it's your own. Like now, yeah. you know, it's your, it's your turn now to take ownership of it and whether or not improve as a player. You can improve as a player, you know, like because you're not seen as an Irish boy anymore for two years. You're yeah. seen as you're now a Brisbane Lions player or St Kilda player, etc. So um, it is, it does happen, and injury can hamper lads too. Like, like, um, like Kevin Dice went over, he did his hamstring, you know, I tore my quad in my third year out for 11 weeks, and, and that can have a massive effect when you try and come back into it. And then again, it could be just not good enough. Players come over and just can't break into that, you know, superstar, because you're playing against, you know, AFL superstars, AFL like players who are professional, like, I mean you've been all over, you've improved, you've went well. And it gets to that stage, like I said, where now is the time to kind of break into it, to kind of stay involved, kind of get better. I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe it's, you just can't, maybe we're not made for it. And I do think though lads have been maybe pushed around in different spots and positions, have went to maybe different teams, they shouldn't have went to an, an injury as well as, as hampered them. Well,
3: somebody like Tommy Walsh now, if he does come home, is there a readjustment process? Was there for you? Was it kind of tricky in your own mind to accept that you did really well over there, but now you're coming home.
8: Yeah, I, I, For me, for, yeah, there is definitely, but um, you, you deal with it and you come back and you think to yourself, okay, I've had a go at it and I've done what well, and you trained folks, and for, for me it was focusing on the positives mm-hmm. of what I've brought back from it and realised I went over and played four-year professional and that's, you know, it's it's, it's a great achievement and, and something I'm, I'm very proud of. And for Tom, Tom, me would be the same, I think, like he he was really passionate about it too. I know he wanted to make it and I, I, this is the worst thing. Like, like whatever about me, I'd say, I'd probably look at myself and say, Duh probably a few things I should have done more or or maybe if I had played that different way. Like I look at Pierce and Pierce is brilliant because he, he takes on the players a lot. You know what I mean? Naturally takes them on. Um he's a real powerful burst off and they were looking for players like that. I would look to Mr. Morris as more as a as probably pass of the ball and stuff like that. Maybe I should have played the game a bit different. And th- and those things are learning hindsight they're great. But Tommy Walsh like he's had a horrible injury and, and things were going well before that. It'd probably be harder for him knowing that he could I think he really could have made it. And something like that is really him back and hampered him. So there'll be just if he doesn't come home, like straight into like it'd be a massive bonus for Kerry straight away, and they'll and they'll let him know that because he'll be a huge additive um, addition to their team. But it will take a while for him to you know look back and realize that it's not a bad thing. I've I've done well. I have went over there, represented Ireland well, represented Ireland in national rules. Um, in my opinion, could easily have made it and should have made it. A Few things didn't go his way. But now he's back here, and uh, I'm sure he'll do a fantastic from back. your own
3: point of view Colm, you say there that you're hugely proud of what you achieved you might do some things differently is there are you comfortable in your own mind or are there any kind of regrets
8: um there's probably always some regrets not not like just I think when you have the I mean, when you've all done and you look back and you think should I have played that way or should I have done this you know should I express myself more you know was I a bit timid about things I think it was I think i I probably trying to do it now in a football, training specifically a bit more. But back then, I probably thought there's more in you. You know, my my father always says if you could play the way you train, you know, in training you do some of these amazing things, and I, I wish I could do it. You know, but <laughs> you, you see boys, you know, there's passing balls or left and right foot, spinning balls outside the boot, and you know, in the, in the NFL it was there was no pressure, and you did the same thing. But in a game, you, know, you maybe have passed the ball off these boys running by instead of just taking the game on yourself. That's one thing. I, if if I had any advice to give to the boys, I would just show them everything you have, like really express yourself and go for it. Like, there's no, like, that's why I think if you do that, you'll have no regrets. If you make mistakes, make them big and and, and learn from them. But, um,
4: do you think Kieran Sheen is better prepared as a 22 year old, maybe, than sort of your 18 or 19 year olds heading over there? And Kieran Sheen has obviously succeeded, uh, has done, yeah. you know, a huge things as a footballer yeah. in, here in, in well. some ways,
8: definitely. I think, um, he's m- probably obviously more mature, I think, you know, and, and, and not in a bad way when you're younger, you're just, I think. He's developed that with I suppose with good teams over here. He can try to take things in and look at himself and try and develop himself a bit better. Whereas at a young age you probably can't do that yet, you know what I mean? You're kinda of start only starting to do it where you're kinda of looking at your own game and look at yourself and, and look at your flaws and look at your positives. But I'd say he's done that. And I think I think he will, will be very well prepared for it. And he's a different type of player. He's you know, it would be interested to see how he goes. Like I think he's he's a fantastic pair of hands and he's lethal of his left foot. So, um, I'd like to see both of them as well to be honest it's great for him and and Kieran to be together that'll be a massive boost for him it's always good to have someone there with you to push you on especially from home and Zach obviously who will also I think go well over the next few years and has been going well the last few years He's an player who, who, who do brilliant over there.
3: Artie, right, I do want to talk to you also about the new Irish management team, and particularly Martin O'Neill. We flagged this up at the start of the show column that you... Well, I should say, first of all, it's not your usual area of expertise, I know. No, not the usual one, but I uh, have
8: had the privilege to meet him and, and hear him talk and, and give us a bit of a chat before. So it was... Uh, it was
3: 2010, International yeah,
8: Rules. 2010 He's brought into the players and um, before the match, often in four games and big games I suppose. Um, Certain guest speakers are brought in um, to talk to the players, maybe give them some motivation or some of their own personal insight and might help some players for the match or, some, or even future preference for their own games. But um, he came into us and spoke to us and it was, a, it was a fantastic talk.
3: Yeah, you mentioned that that happens quite a lot now. So I would, I, would, I would have thought maybe 10 years ago the GA team would be immediately hugely impressed by anybody. But now maybe does it take a little bit more to. It's the the name itself isn't necessarily going to do it. You need to hear something interesting.
8: Well, yeah, the name, because it's happening so much and, you know, you have loads of different people to choose from and, um but it is a tough enough situation to come into a group of players and, and try and, even if they're in the same code or a different code or a different scenario, try and bring their own personal insight and, and use that to help the players there. Um, and it's tough, but Martin O'Neill really came in, like, and we've had a few others during the year, and Gareth Thomas, we came in, I think it was um, 2006, oh, yeah. I think it was, came in, or... Yeah, it was came over to us and spoke to us as well. And um, we went over to Toulouse for a training camp, and yeah, he spoke to us then. And that was a fantastic talk as well. But you know, different things from different people and what they give to it. And um, Martins was, was was fantastic too in his own special way.
3: Was it one of these corporate team bonding type speeches, or was it more personable <clears throat> and about his own experience?
8: No, like like I said, when he come into those talks, it's because it's been done so much. And you know, some players can take a lot from it, some players can't. Um, I think the best way is trying to get a bit personal with the players, and and he came in, sat down, just pulled up a chair, sat down, and crossed the legs, and started talking to the players. And he understood like that. He's probably even seen it before and been involved in numerous talks out before. But here was a group of lads, and just wanted to know how he went and how he how he got from where he was to where he is now. And I suppose anything he could give to other players to help him out, and he he spoke really well, and, he, and kind of was very very informal, few jokes, few chats, and it was um it was good fun.
3: I saw uh, O'Neill himself recently. He was saying that the. Fire and ice thing is kind of interesting. The way people are looking at Keane as the fiery character and uh, uh, O'Neill being a lot more composed because O'Neill doesn't feel he's that way himself. He actually feels it's, it's probably he's somewhere in between being cool and composed and being as combustible as Roy Keane. How did he come across to you in that regard? Was he a, was he a passionate kind of guy? Because he can sometimes look you know wild on the sidelines, but then very studied and almost <laughs> whimsical in press conferences.
8: Yeah, I, I think. I think when you're comparing to Keane I think people are comparing to Keane and, and straight away they think oh he's a quieter one but from what I gathered like in the talk he very well controlled was passionate about things he spoke about and but you know he's a clever man and he's an intelligent man he kind of controlled it very well and sometimes obviously you want to lose track of that on, on, when passion kind of overloads or emotions come over to it but I wouldn't see him as being a soft guy either I'd say you know yeah. um, he knows he wants to get out of things and he he spoke about when he's when he's training players and talking to them he, he directly kind of gave them what he wanted out of them and He's very kind of distinct about what he wanted to do by no means if he had a problem with a player I don't think he'd shy away from it either like he'd let them yeah. know that's no, that's wrong or we don't want that here and he'd try and develop the, kind of the way he wants
3: Colin Begley it's been absolutely great uh, talking to you uh, about you. all that and just to make it official Martin O'Neill does get the Colin Begley endorsement yeah I've, I've
8: approved it so he's okay now I, I think he's set to go yeah. Colin, great stuff thank, <laughs> thank you thank you
1: very much cheers
3: that's the question that's going to be asked answer tonight tonight.
1: So now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just the
3: bottom line is Michael, they have to do tonight.
7: Tonight.
2: Second captains football. Available on irishtimes.com second captains and iTunes from 6 p.m. tonight. Tonight, tonight,
1: tonight, 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 tonight.
2: tonight.
7: tonight.
3: Yeah, second captains football coming up at six o'clock tonight. Ken will at that stage be back from the team hotel from the training session. so plenty to talk about there. Also to mention a bit of housekeeping: P Bezo mm-hmm. will not be in the show at six o'clock tonight, Murph, but will be on Thursday's edition yes. of Second Captains at the Irish Times. So we're all looking forward to that. The injury that Tommy Walsh has suffered, yeah, uh, was just touched on by Cullum There, pretty significant one.
4: Yeah, basically, the ha- your hamstring is connected to bone in three separate I'm squeamish, places. Murph, so go, Janky. I know. And uh, Tommy Walsh managed to basically disattach his hamstring uh, at all three places where it joins the bone. So it came off the bone at the three places where it's joined to the bone. Uh, so it's an unbelievably serious injury and I would say quite sore by the sounds of things. Um, but he's not the only, I know he's making a full recovery, but he's not the only sports person uh, to have injured himself grievously. Um, Ryan Lochte. Who we all remember from the Olympics yeah, uh, last year. Michael Phelps' major yeah. rival, he uh, suffered a freak knee injury uh, this week after being knocked over by an overenthusiastic teenage female fan. <laughs> uh, so he was walking down a street in Florida, and uh, a girl started running towards him. So Lochte tried to catch her. Yeah, so she jumps at him. He tries to catch her, falls over, and uh, tore his medial cruciate ligament oh, in no. his left knee. Uh, yeah, the the girl was unhurt, you'll be happy to hear. But Lockley's publicist said in a statement, as a result of a freak injury caused by an unexpected fan encounter, he has suffered a torn MCL and an ACL sprain and will be taking a break from training and competition. Why just, don't they put out the... Uh, that, that's all true, that mm-hmm. statement, but
3: why don't they put out the, the detail they've just gone through there? There's a dirty dancing style catch. Yeah. He was playing the Patrick Swayze role. He didn't quite have the upper body strength of Patrick Swayze, so he yeah. couldn't hold on to his companion.
4: I know, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe she just kind of overshot the, the runway a little bit as well, you know? Maybe just jumped a little too far back. Frenchie never would have done that. Was that her name? No, Baby. Baby? No one, no one Frenchie? puts Frenchie? No one puts Baby in the corner. No one puts Frenchie in the corner. Yeah. It's not anything, uh, Owen? yeah. No so one puts Baby in the corner. But uh, we wish Ryan, we wish Ryan well. I just want <laughs> <had> to mention. And <laughs> his return from injury. A
3: charity football match It's on tomorrow night at Daily Man Park. Bohemians are playing against the staff of Super Queen in Walkinstown. Not sure how strong they are at football. Wow. Okay. Very Damn good, good retailers. Just, but I don't know how good they yeah, are at football. It
4: seems like a, a rather
3: strange uh, match it's there. It's for a very good cause. Our ladies' hospice and care services. Five euro to enter, and there'll be uh, of prizes and all the rest of it on the night. So head along to that if you can tomorrow evening at Daily Man Park. We're out of here. For the time being, until Second Captains Football, do follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Check us out on Facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. And Murph, if people want to email you some <laughs> P Bezo, yes, yeah, Second
4: Captains at Irish or you good. can hit us up on Twitter at Second Captains. Sounds good. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Frenchie. Thanks for listening. The phone is That's the second time it's gone off.